Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. Jose Valim was on the Changelog podcast talking about the live book week of releases. So if you're interested in that, it's Changelog Podcast 538. We'll drop a link in the show notes. And next up, there's a new LLM, which is a large language model called Star Coder that is trained on code exclusively, it appears. And it's used to write code, as you might expect. The crazy thing is it was trained on over 80 languages. I tested it out just to see, can this do Elixir code? And in my very limited experiment, it seemed that it worked reasonably well. I was like, write an Elixir module that parses a CSV file. And it spit out some code. It's like, yeah, that's a great place to start from. But what I thought was interesting about this is it's not like ChatGPT or Bard where it's locked behind a company. This is an actual model that's available on Hugging Face. So you can download the model and play with it locally. Although it's not like a a casual thing. You're not just going to say, yeah, I'm just going to casually just download this and play with this because the model is 64 gigabytes in size. It's significant, right? You have to have hardware that can handle that. I have a link in the show notes where you can play with it. It's on huggingface.co slash chat. And if you select the star coder model, then you can play with it there. This is still early. You know, 80 languages is way overkill. You could super shrink down the model if you had more tuned versions of it, where you're just saying, you know, I only work with these three languages. So get me something that's a little smaller, more manageable that I could run locally. And then it becomes really interesting. And that seems to be some of the direction some people are playing in open source and community stuff with models is fine-tuning to the purpose for which you want to use a model like this LLM. So interesting times. We'll see where this goes. Yes, lots of interesting AI things going on. So speaking of, there was an article that kind of put together a bunch of autonomous AI things. Have you guys seen Westworld? Are you talking about the, the game, the simulation game? Well, don't spoil it. But yes, there's like there's the old movie and then there's the, the, you know, the HBO show recent. Well, anyway, you got the the idea of those. The premise is is that there's these autonomous AI, you know, machine things. This is an old movie, but you watch the whole movie and and you don't know that until like the very end. And that's kind of like the twist. Well, yes. So now people are doing that with these these large language models uh, as well. So there's a article we've got in the in the show notes, but it goes over four autonomous AI agents that you you should know. So if you're following this, you know this domain at all. Yeah, it's a good good little article. The interesting part about it is that somebody Mario Valendi, so tat tip to you, was wondering out loud via Twitter if these autonomous AI agents would be good fits for something like Elixir processes. And, you know, Jose piped in. He said, yeah, this is great. This is a great fit, of course. You know, Elixir is great for, like, orchestrating these these large language model kind of agents. It's, like, perfectly suited for that. You know, modeling agents with processes, you get concurrency, you get some distribution in there, you get some fault tolerance. You know, you can monitor that with, you know, metrics and observability. So all that is happening currently in, you know, the artificial intelligence and machine learning kind of realm. And Elixir's ability to play in that arena, you know, thanks to NX and Axon and Bumblebee and more, it would be really cool to see Elixir playing more active part in this space. That's pretty interesting to think about, but also, you know, that this AI area is just moving so quickly. I, I, I feel like these articles that kind of round up these LLMs, 
to like describe what they've been trained on, what they might be good, well suited for. These are all like good pieces. It's like going to the grocery store and you just like <laughs> learn about a new fruit. And this fruit has these kind of, you know, tastes and, you know, I like apples or whatever. So I, I want something apple-like. Then yes, like these little articles telling me about this new species of apple is pretty cool. So all that, but applied to AI. They're just coming out so frequently now. <laughs> so there's this goes over four of those. The distinction here is that these are meant to work upon itself. It's supposed to be a generative and then to generate upon that, to generate upon that. And it, it Westworld is the thought of like, well, it's just going to be trained to li- live and act like a little society. And so they've been watching how that, you know, evolves. <laughs> not, not scary at all. You know, it's not like we're, it's not like we're testing black holes in Sweden or, or Switzerland or wherever, you know? <laughs> what I think is interesting though, and we're going to talk next more about Livebook and the exciting stuff going on there. But what I think is interesting is just when Jose first started experimenting and saying, you know, I really want Elixir to be able to do some of these machine learning things. None of where we are currently are was visible to anyone. Like it was not like a topic. Yeah. And so all this groundwork had to be laid with being able to do NX, being able to talk like EXLA and all that had to happen and get ready to now we're at this point where like, wow, this is really potentially be transformative. But Elixir, because of that foundation work, like, hey, we're 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 right up there. We could be and we could be playing in the same game. So that's that is super exciting. Yeah. Real quick, one of these other projects of the of the write up is called Camel, which stands for Communicative Agents for Mind Exploration of Large Scale Language Model Society. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> uh, it proposes a, a role playing agent framework where two AI agents communicate with each other. Right. You got the AI user agent, you have the AI assistant agent, and then you have a task specifier agent. So you, <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah, humans are doomed. That's all I got to say. All right. But I love the idea of <laughs> processes being a great modeling for all that. That's really cool. Yeah, exactly. That would be pretty cool. Well, next up, Alex Kupmos shared how he and Amos Keen have been working together to create a new library called Deno X. So if you're not familiar with Deno it's a simple modern runtime for JavaScript and TypeScript. It uses V8 and it's built on Rust. So since it has Rust in there, it has to be cool. <laughs> so anyways, this library is meant to make it easy to run TypeScript and JavaScript from in Lixer. We'll drop a link in the show notes, but they have a little tweet where they show a little animation of how they're using Livebook and they're leveraging a JavaScript library called Tesseract. They drop some handwritten image into Livebook. They run the JavaScript code and it converts the the image of handwritten text into actual text. So that's pretty cool. That's interesting. And hats off to Livebook. It's just so insanely easy to do little experiments like this. Yes. And then be able to visually show it off too and share it with people. That is so true. I remember way back when I was in school, have like paying like five bucks for some little tool that could just run code for you because like I always just had this need like how can I just easily run code and see what's going on? And it had, you know, like 20 languages it could run. And it's like Livebook is is just leaps and bounds, so interactive and so quick to just play around with stuff. And next up, Stack Overflow Developer Survey is out for 2023. This came out last year and we talked about how Elixir was showing up in it, in the results, and, and people were saying how much they loved Elixir, which was all very cool to see. So now... If you're hearing this, you should definitely follow the link and go take the anonymous survey, 
you're sharing all your demographics, but all that stuff, they, they share the results after the fact, which we love. And we want to be able to represent and show that we are actually using Elixir and how we're using it. All right, next up, ElixirConf EU 2023. Another video was released. So the first one they released was Chris McCord's, and this one is Lars Wiekman's. We've got some links to some tweets about it, some into the YouTube video. But his talk is about Lively Live View with Membrane. It's about using Live View with the Whisper model for speech to text, along with the Membrane framework. So it's a nice little talk about how things can talk to each other. It's pretty interesting. Well, hopefully this means that there's more talks going to be released soon. It's great to see the pace. Next up, a PSA from the Hex PM team. They are moving their build artifacts to builds.hex.pm slash builds. They mentioned in a post saying that they will be building and hosting pre-compiled versions of Elixir, OTP, and Hex itself, and the transition will be over three months with increasing brownout periods where HexPM will redirect to builds.hexpm. And after the three-month period, the redirects will become permanent. So if you have tooling that's using Hex, you might consider updating it to use the new builds.hex.pm domain and making sure that your download tool can follow redirects is probably a good idea. So the TLDR here is just make sure that if you're using ASDF, that your Elixir plugin is up to date. And if you're using something like Setup Beam on GitHub Actions, make sure you're using one of the latest versions there and you'll be good to go. And last up, MPEX New York City lineup has been announced. If you were holding back on buying tickets and you wanted to see, well, who's going to be speaking? What's it going to be about? Is there anything I wanted that I'm really interested in seeing? Well, now you can check out the speaker lineup and see what's planned. And if you don't know what MPEX is, it's a one-day single-track ElixirConf in New York City. We have a link where you can check out the speaker lineup. And speakers are Heidi Howard, Andrea Leopardi, Lorena Mireles, Corey O'Daniel, Andrew Forward, Andy Glassman, Sean Moriarty, and Jace Warren. So that's a great set of people there. I've never been to an MPEX conference. Have either of you guys been to one? No, I haven't. No, I wish, wish I was going this year, though. But man, I was... It's like right after I get into my new place. Single track, like intimate settings kind of places like this. This is this is a completely different feel from yeah. like ElixirConf. So definitely worth it. If you have the budget and the time, you should get out there. I have been to some of those smaller conferences, single track, one day conferences. And they're actually really fun because everyone's kind of a shared experience. And there's a more of a definite hallway track feel, where people are talking and meeting, I feel like it's also easier to talk to the presenters too, and to ask questions and just interact with everyone. So I definitely love that feel. More casual, mm-hmm. more human sometimes. Less choices being thrown at you too. Am I going to go to the Lazy River today? No. <laughs> Am I going to go to the, one of these three speakers? I just got one choice. Easy. You show up and you attend and you're there. You're done. And that's it for the news. Elixir and Phoenix are incredible. They make it possible to quickly build highly resilient and reliable systems capable of operating at incredible scale. Fly.io is a great place to host Elixir apps. You can deploy your app to multiple regions around the world with a private network linking them all together so your app can cluster and globally do some incredible Phoenix magic. Give your users a more responsive UI while writing less code and moving the app closer to your users without needing an ops team. Check out fly.io for your next Elixir app. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Jonathan Kwosko. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. Hello, everyone. 
So we have had you with us, this is the third time now. And I was looking back on this, and it was episode 46 was the first time we had you with us, and that was in May 2021, two years ago, which is really fun. But then the second time we talked with you was in December 2022, and you came on with Jose and talked about Bumblebee and everything going on there. So I'm really excited to talk about Livebook, because we recently went through the release week of Livebook, the five days and all these different exciting things, and I believe you are pretty much behind a lot of how this is implemented, right? You actually coded this stuff. And so I wanted to learn more about how some of these things work because some of them are really interesting and exciting, like this this idea of apps and being able to expose these other like web server APIs that are more limited into a live book. It's like, wow, that's kind of crazy stuff. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to learning more about this from you. But before we get into that, I'd love to hear more about you like, where do you live and are you done with school now? What kind of work are you doing? I work at Dashbit. I actually, like, the first time we talked was May, so it was for pretty much shortly after I joined Dashbit. And I've been working uh, in Dashbit, like, over two years. And I finished my bachelor degree a year ago, and I, you know, decided to pursue open source rather than university. And that's pretty much me. So I'm curious, what part of the world do you live in? Because you said you fi- you finished school. I'm from the United States. You Maybe you're familiar. We have high school, then we go to college. You said you did open source instead of university. Does that mean you weren't graduating? You, you're just a high school graduate? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like I did. I decided to not pursue a master's degree and just finished at, at Batro. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. And do you live in Poland? Correct, in Krakow. So did you attend ElixirConf EU? Yeah, I was uh, having a talk, actually, about Bumblebee. Very cool. Yeah, so we haven't seen all of the videos out yet. Looking forward to those, and I'll, I'll look forward to seeing yours. I wasn't able to make it to ElixirConf EU. It'd be incredible to go, but, you know, it's quite a trip for me. Allow me to be jealous for a moment, but right after finishing my bachelor's degree, uh, first of all, Elixir didn't exist, but let's just say it did. <laughs> my goodness, if I were, like, my first job, my first, like, multi-year job was working with Jose Valim. I'd I'd be counting my lucky stars. I'd be I'd be very, <laughs> feeling very blessed. Hashtag blessed. Anyway, that's very exciting. That's that's pretty cool. I I honestly don't think I would find a master's that necessary if I got to work with that team. <laughs> I'd be getting doctorate level kind of uh, exposures anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much my thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 speaking of so tell me what your your part of. Dashbit is. What's the big thing that you're working on? I, I, we all we all know what it is, but I want you to tell me. Yeah, so I joined Dashbit originally to uh, work on Livebook, and so that's pretty much uh, my main focus over the past two years. And there were like a couple related projects. So, for example, Bumblebee. And the reasoning behind me working on Bumblebee was having designed all of the like API and integrations, I then could easily make the Livebook integration. So you know via the smart cell so that people can play with machine learning models uh, in Livebook directly. So, you know, mostly Livebook and also projects uh, centered around Livebook. All right. Now, I know that Dashbit is a consultancy, though. Have you found yourself, you know, doing any consultancy work for Dashbit? Or have you been pretty pretty much full-time on Livebook? Yeah, I've been, like, full-time open source. So we have three people working on the consultancy, which is Jose, Wojtek, and Philip. And we are, in total, 10 people. Uh, so the rest of the team is just open source. All right, cool. I want to say first, as we move into this section, talking about Livebook and what happened with the release week, 
So congratulations on getting all of that work done and keeping it secret enough that it was something to announce and have already all during one week. That was really cool. Yeah, thank you. That seems like a lot of preparation to have a whole week worth of releases. <laughs> yes. Like how how long were you guys building up to this? I mean, I feel like it, the, the sort of iteration time was similar to previous releases, but it just this time was a little bigger. All right. So let's clue in everyone else on what these releases are about. So just high level real quick. We'll dive we'll dive into some of them into more depth. But like the first one is this app's style of launching a live book. You know, we we teased that already. We also talked about like hubs, we talked about secrets, or we're going to talk about hubs and secrets and stamping and this thing called, you know, like called, what's this about Microsoft Teams coming into Livebook? I, I'm sure I'm getting it wrong there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm only joking. And then there's also hugging face, of course, that's involved. But that's a lot of big features. Uh, I'm just curious, which one of those were you like, did you have the most fun implementing? Or what was the most memorable one out of that? Maybe it could have been the hardest. From the launch week, like the, the day four was just a showcase, like this whisper chat deployed to Hugging Face. It sort of brought together so many things that I worked on, which like Bumblebee, uh, the smart cells, uh, and, and like the apps feature. So it was like very cool to see all of those things come together into a very impressive demo. And as for the hard parts, like the apps were pretty streamlined, I would say. Although we can like go into details uh, next. There wasn't anything particularly hard, rather, you know, a bunch of different things uh, coming together. Spoken like a true pro. All right. Let's get into apps then. So this was a feature that was covered on day one of the live book launch week, but then it showed up again on day four. Tell me, what 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 is this doing? Yeah. So like over time, you always wanted to have some sort of way to share a notebook, you know, different way than like just play notebook, right? And, and eventually we, we sort of convert into the idea of apps. So imagine you have a notebook and you may have some interactive elements like inputs, uh, those kind of things. Uh, but sharing it with somebody uh, is not necessarily nice if you, there is like all of the code snippets and stuff, especially if you're dealing with a non-technical person. So with apps, you can basically take this notebook and deploy it. And once deployed, all of the code is hidden, all of the like Mario notes are hidden and the only visible elements are like those interactive widgets and, you know, sort of place where you can also push dynamic input, outputs, right? So this way uh, people can just go and have this sort of app-like experience, even though it's just a notebook underneath actually. And, and the beautiful part is that we were like focused on making Livebook collaborative from day one. So like all of the inputs, uh, all of the widgets, they already were collaborative, right? So now once it, they are deployed like as an app, it's still collaborative, right? So uh, that's what the Whisper Chat example was showcasing, right? Uh, where everybody can see a form and like edit the values and those are like local to, to them. But once they submit the form, they push the message into a shared chat box and everybody who's connected to the app, they actually can, can see it. So that's pretty cool. So am I understanding this right? Like it seems like at a lot of companies, you know, you have your support and they're constantly reaching out. Like, can you, can you look this up? Can you do this? It's like, you could probably build a series of notebooks. that's like, put in the customer ID here and it will run these queries and give you the data, but then they don't, they don't have access to tweak the code or mess it up. But you could have like all these internal notebooks of like, these are not big, big enough of a deal to like build a whole internal teams around it or internal tooling team around it. But I could still just have these little things to help 
people out and have internal tooling in the form of a live book app. Yeah, exactly. So there's a whole variety of use cases that app, apps could be a good fit for. But exactly what you said is that uh, oftentimes you want some sort of internal tooling. The developers like create the tooling, they're not necessarily web developers. So oftentimes it would be convenient for them to just write scripts, right? But like then if, if the person using the, those scripts is uh, someone uh, not technical, then ideally you would want to have some sort of UI. And, and this way you can just easily build this interactive UI uh, without worrying about, you know, uh, how it looks and making it pretty and all of that. So that, that's an exciting use case for sure. How restrictive is it for seeing that, that source code underneath? Is it like completely barred or is, is it just like a couple of clicks away? Yeah, so we have a configuration for, for the access level. For example, there is an option that allows you to sort of make the code visible, right? So if you're like deploying a demo and you want people to see the source code of the notebook, uh, you can just tick a, a checkbox and then people will be able to just go and see the source. But you can also make it like more private in a way. For example, you can configure application-specific password, right? So then once the app is deployed, somebody will have to know the specific password and then they only have access to the UI and, and they can see any code uh, or access the rest of the lightbook. Gotcha. That's really interesting. Cade shared an idea of how that could be used. You know, I, I want to create something and maybe let someone else put some data into it and they can just visit it from a web browser. You said there's a lot of interesting ideas around this. Do you have any other ideas already? It's like, oh, people could do this or this. Let us get some ideas of how we could use something like that. Sort of the primary use case for apps was exactly this, like internal tooling and also demo applications. So for example, if you have a machine learning model and you want people to have an easy way to interact with the model, uh, then you can just deploy Kino-based interface and let people play with the model. So that's that. And we also have a number of ideas how to like expand apps. There is like this, this sort of idea of runbook notebooks, which you may be familiar with, uh, which is like doing things step by step, right? We are working on features that would expand apps so that you can support those kind of use cases as well. You're saying something as if it's super easy and casual and a click of a button, this whole <laughs> idea that you can just deploy something and not worry about it. But in your use case of like playing with a ling large language model, there's uh, considerable resources that need to go into like hosting that kind of application or networking that with like an existing app or something like that. What does the deployment story look like around here, uh, around deploying one of these Lightbook apps. Yeah, so one of the ways that you can like actually make those apps available somewhere in the internet is that you can deploy a Livebook instance, a Docker image, right? And within the Docker image, you can place your notebooks that you want to deploy, right? And then you specify an environment variable that points Livebook to this directory of notebooks. So once the Livebook boots, it's going to start all of the applications and, and people can access them by you know, going to the uh, Livebook instance. And so depending on the, the kind of your apps are doing, uh, you may want to, to configure a different hardware, right? So like if it's heavy machine learning work, then it, it will be beneficial for, for the machine to have a GPU, right? So those are the, the things to consider. And for like demo proposal purposes, Hugging Face is actually brilliant to, to do so because Hugging Face, uh, and just to like give some context, Hugging Face is some sort of GitHub for the machine learning community. Right, so people can host like models, data sets, demo applications, all of that on Hugging Face. And they have this nice service called Hugging Face Spaces, 
And a hugging face space is pretty much any application that, that is dockerizable, right? So you can like push any Git repo uh, with a Docker file and it's going to just run it. And, and the cool part is that by default, the, the hardware that is available freely, it has two CPUs and 16 gigabytes of RAM. If you deploy a logbook, you can totally just play around in the cloud and not worry about the resources. Even better part is that you can easily configure the hardware. So if you need a GPU to do some machine learning workload, you can just you know change the hardware to have a GPU and that's it, right? So that's a very exciting. And the Hugging Face folks, they were very nice and also add the livebook launch configuration as a sort of preset. So when you go to Hugging Face and create a new space, uh, there's going to be livebook as one of the options. Oh, that's exciting. Gotcha. And and then, yeah, you just push your Docker file there and then you access it through their, their UI, I guess. They'll give you a URL to go to. That makes sense for being able to get access to hardware like in an easy way that's like set up to give you not dedicated, not like 100%, like I'm paying for this GPU all the time. You know, just being able to get access to it for when you're wanting to run some models and do some experiments. Yeah, it's especially useful if you're uh, sort of experimenting, right? So like you are in the development process. So you can just have Livebook and have the GPU and not, not worry about, uh, you know, paying for the GPU somewhere in the cloud, which is actually very hard to get at the moment or, you know, setting it up locally. And on a small tangent, or I actually, uh, for my Elixir uh, ConfU talk, I had a demo live application, live view application with machine learning models. And I literally just like took the live view application with a Docker file and pushed the hugging face, enabled the GPU, and, you know, it worked great. Something we talked about in the news, and I was just thinking about, and as you mentioned, like your Bumblebee presentation, I was just reminded that all of this really exciting stuff that we see in Livebook, I've been seeing people talk about on Twitter, and they're sharing cool things that they're doing. Oh, here's a Kino input that does this. It's like Livebook is its own platform, and it makes it so easy to just play with something and share it with someone else in a way that they can play with it and experiment and learn. And I think that is really powerful just for the community as a tool. Even if I'm not using it for like ML and I'm not doing AI stuff and I'm not, you know, it's like just even being able to share code snippets in a visual way with other people. Yeah, it's exciting to to see people like writing smarts or custom components uh, because exactly we really wanted to uh, make Livebook extensible and like seeing people actually extending Livebook is, is very rewarding. Well, cool. Speaking of all of these features, all these features definitely have like a social bend to them, right? It's, you know, Livebook is very capable. We've got some extensions, you know, that, that, that are happening. The, the, the components are being built. But there's, there's that social part that I think is the theme of this whole release week, right? You already mentioned where it's easy to get to Hugging Face and to be collaborative. Well, I have to, I have to plug in where you talked about apps and where they are accessible within internal use, internal teams stuff. So like, yeah, I think there's a lot of social aspect there. And one of those social mechanics that has been tough in the past has been handling those pesky secrets and stuff like that that you can't risk getting out there. So tell me what uh, some of the other new features are available in Livebook that handle these these kinds of things. Yeah, so like secret management is something we really, really wanted to have a good take on. There is like this paper from Microsoft about the pain points of computational notebooks. And one of the, the pain points is exactly secret management because people oftentimes just hard code these secrets into their notebooks 
And then, you know, uh, sharing the notebook becomes problematic and uh, there needs to be a way to, to bridge this gap. So in one of the previous releases of Livebook, we introduced secrets uh, and essentially it allows the user to read the secret as an environment variable. And then Livebook uh, has a user interface for managing secrets or like adding secrets. You, you need to explicitly share which secrets should be available to this specific notebook, right? So if you get a notebook from the internet, you need to toggle which secrets it can access. Yeah, because otherwise we would have our first live book virus where it just lists all secrets and phones home. <laughs> so that's that's some cool features for secrets. I know I've been one to hard code my secrets into my live books and just not share them because it's too hard. I know a lot of us will be really excited to have secret management. What about Teams, though? I've been curious to hear about Teams. What What can you tell us about that feature? Yeah, so the secret management that I mentioned, it works uh, very well locally, right, as a single user. Uh, but then the question is, what if you have a whole team of developers and, you know, uh, all of them are using pretty much the same secrets for, for the company notebooks? And so we we started, like, developing Livebook Teams, which is going to be an external service, uh, a paid product for, for companies. And basically the idea is that we'll connect from developer Livebook to the uh, Livebook Teams server, and they will be able to synchronize secrets between all of them. And exactly for, for this reason, we introduced this abstraction of hubs. So you may have noticed that now Livebook comes with a personal hub, right? And personal hub is for everybody, like it, it stores stuff locally. And so it handles secret storage, also stamping, which we are going to cover. And in the future is going to, to handle other features as well. And so the idea is that you will be able to plug Livebook Teams uh, organization as a hub. And so then you can just sort of source secrets from the hub into, into the given notebook. Mm, okay. Ooh, that's... Uh, There's some juicy stuff there. Yeah, secret <laughs> management is like the, the paid product part here. That sounds, that sounds pretty interesting. So you guys are setting up a server to, yeah, store those secrets securely. I guess those are stored on, on the on the server or maybe just key, how's that going to work? Yeah. So the idea is to store all of the secrets encrypted on, on our server, but like they will be encrypted in Livebook itself using team private key. So, you know, it's not like we'll be storing the actual secrets, but just the encrypted version. Yeah. That seems like a better approach. I would just, you know, just passwords.txt on your disk and <laughs> <laughs> comma delimited with like maybe the name of the hub or something. <laughs> so, so, so the the uh, logistics then. Let's see. Uh, let's say I work at a company that is subscribing to this Teams product. I have a key that's stored, like in my company one password or something. That Livebook Team key is what unlocks the the process to unencrypt those secrets from the server, from the Livebook server. Yeah. So the key will be uh, a part of your organization. So then in Livebook, you will just add your new hub and pass, pass the key, right? And then we will connect to the Livebook server and you will be able to like fetch the secrets and decrypt them using your key. Gotcha. Okay. So with this team hub, it sounds like it's just doing the key management and maybe user authentication. I'm not actually now running my Livebooks on that team server, right? Like because I, I think part of the whole goal, right, is that I can run my live books in my environment. And I just need to be able to control who has access to these secrets, who can access what resources, and, oh, someone left the company, we need to revoke their access. Yeah, exactly. So 
our idea was always to have Livebook, you know, you run it locally. It's not like we have a separate product or, or you need to go somewhere in the cloud. You can like, run Livebook locally just as you would usually do. And you just plug in some integration that you can, like, we transparently communicate with. And it can be like either the personal hub, the Teams hub, and maybe in the future, something else as well, which fits into this abstraction. Can you share anything at this point about like when we might expect something like this? Is this like a next year kind of a thing? It's just a like a ballpark. So the idea is for the beta version to be available in the second part of this year. Okay, that's very cool. I look forward to experimenting with that and talking about that more when it's available. Can you clarify, is that going to include user management or is that just like a, a simple key that's shared? So if do I need to change the key if like a team member leaves or what do I need to do about that? Yeah, so, so the user management happens on, on like Livebook team side. So, you know, we will have an organization and, and then like people will be able to sign into Livebook teams and you can manage who is in the organization. Ah, perfect. Okay, great. That covers the complicated part, <laughs> I think, for managing secrets. <laughs> Getting the basics right of like making sure that the secrets are safe Gandalf style, <laughs> that, yeah, managing the people, the access to the to the secrets is typically where things start to fall apart. Cool. Well, well, I think there's one more aspect about this access and hubs and teams and people and passwords. You talked about stamping. What's stamping about? Yeah, so imagine uh, you have a notebook from the internet, right? And so you don't want this notebook to access all of your secrets, right? So that's why we have those explicit toggles where you need to go and say which secrets are shared with the notebook. Uh, but then if you are the one who authored the notebook, right? Like you open one of the notebooks on your disk, uh, then it will be annoying to always need to enable those secrets, right? Whenever you open the notebook again. And so in order to make it less annoying, but also secure, uh, we now have this what we call a stamp. So at the very bottom of the notebook, there is sort of digital signature and it has encrypted names of those secrets that should be allowed to the notebook. And it also uses all of the notebook source in the signature. So, you know, somebody can't just take the signature and put it into a different notebook because the source wouldn't match, right? So it's secure. And so with personal hub, it's going to use your private key, which you can configure in settings, right? But then if you are working in a team of developers and you know you share notebooks between between all of them, then we also want like to do stamping using the Livebook Teams hub, right? So it's you know the same idea, but it's going to uh, work for everybody. Gotcha. Okay, cool. All right, that that sounds yeah, very convenient. People should feel sorry for me on how my my brain works sometimes, but <laughs> so I'm thinking like, how did you implement that? And I remember that the Live MD extension here is just regular Markdown with some like comments in between these blocks that kind of give you that metadata. And so I'm imagining that there's a comment at the bottom of this Markdown file that has all that stuff that you just talked about. And so when Livebook opens up, it just looks for that, you know that that information in there, and then it informs Livebook app how to act on secrets. Which, by the way, <laughs> you probably know better than most. Do you regret having a live Markdown being com like kind of backwards-ish compatible with like regular Markdown? Or do you feel like you need a new <laughs> format to, to have this kind of like extra features and extensibility and all that kind of stuff? Like, <laughs> how's your feeling meter on, on these, <laughs> on the format? Yeah, so I'm like very, very happy about the format that we have. So, you know, as we started to see 
pull requests and like editing notebooks and being it as easy as editing documentation or any sort of text file, it became very obvious that like this is clearly the, the good choice. And even now, I believe GitHub renders like Markdown as, as regular Markdown. So if you're like, you know, looking at notebooks, it's actually very readable. So this is very cool. And like, you know, there's always additional metadata if, if you are storing stuff beyond text. And, and using like comments is totally fine. It, we had no issues with, with that. Okay. Well, th- well, those look like wonderful features. I think I think the usability of LiveBook has been astounding to watch. First of all, so congrats on that. But you, so just to recap, a big feature here is the ability to deploy a LiveBook as like an app styled, where you can just like kind of a read only, a, a quick little application to just let you run through a large language model. For example, that's that's amazing. You're solving a big social complexity here by introducing hubs and secrets can work across those hubs or with these these teams and you're stamping things to make things less annoying for folks as they're opening up the same notebook over and over. You know, these are amazing things. And then the partnership with Hugging Face, I think, really launches you into a more public space to get those resources and those apps hosted quickly. I mean, there's a lot more in launch week, I think, but are there other things that we should talk about? Any maybe little little things that you'd like to highlight and discuss? Yeah, so just to like sort of close on the launch week, the last day was about the Explorer Smart Cell, which we actually got like a very positive feedback on uh, from people. And, and it, you know, it's cool because data exploration is something which is a very popular use case, right? But if you don't really know Explorer at all, it may be sort of, intimidating to get started. And by using the smart cell, you can actually very easily build a whole pipeline of processing. You can dynamically see uh, the results of the table, right? And then if you're uh, happy with the results, you can even like take the code and and use it in your application. So that's a very great uh, functionality and it's been implemented by Chris, who's also on the Lightbook team. I agree. When I saw that, I was like, my jaw dropped. This was, this, that was amazing. That was uh, a really good UI on top of like, yeah, exp- well, doing exactly what's on the label, right? Exploring the data, being able to filter things, aggregate things, and then filter them again, and then aggregate things, and then filter them again. Like that, having that kind of flexibility, you, you know, it's it's like easier than SQL. And that feels like that's the tool that a lot of researchers have to dive into sometimes to do that kind of exploration. But then they have to worry about, yeah, pagination and all the other niceties that Lightbook already provides and the components already provide. So this has been a wonderful, yeah, a, a good a good round of, of features. Maybe a question for you is like, where did the idea of this launch week come from? I know that you guys probably had like an explosion of ideas and you you implemented so many things, but it was intentional to hold that back, right? Or not talk about it until this launch week. And I know that like elsewhere in the market, like Superbase has like a launch week that they do or a feature week or something. And I think that there's a couple of other companies that are doing like, like you know, things like that. Where'd the idea come from or the inspiration? Yeah, so the idea came exactly from Superbase. And I think the launch week was actually the same the same week. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was fun. <laughs> so you end up overshadowing them. Oh, oh that's fun. <laughs> Some friendly competition. So the other question I had about, like we were talking about some of the, the, the user experience and the developer experience of working with live books. I was just curious, did you employ like a designer to help you figure out some of these things? Like how do we communicate this visually or, or did you guys make this all yourselves? 
Yeah, so we have a designer that we work with, Akash. Pretty much from the start of, of you know, Livebook, he's been helping with all of the design stuff. So while we've got you here, I wanted to ask, are there any other small features that you thought were really fun to work on or really cool that people should check out? Anything else you want to highlight and talk about? Yeah, so with those Livebook releases, we oftentimes include like a big feature in each of the releases. And so sometimes it's easy to miss some of the nice nuggets. And one of my favorite features from, from the past release is uh, the ability to start notebooks. So, you know, previously, uh, if there was a notebook that you work on for a month, you would need to like all the time go and output, uh, open the same file. And now you can just start the notebook and it's going to be available on the homepage so we can always uh, navigate to it with a single click. So that's pretty cool. And another feature which I actually used on my presentation at Elixir Conview uh, was the ability to collapse sections, right? So now you can exactly like collapse sections and then expand them as you as you go. And on the main branch, and so in the next release, we are also having this new presentation mode, which is going to basically hide the sidebar and blur all of the page, and then you only see the cell that is focused. So those uh, sort of tiny features are going to make Livebook a much better tool for like presenting your thoughts to other people. Yeah, I can see that being awesome for meetups and conferences and maybe just like a, a team sharing thing like, hey, let's talk about how we can use this tool internally and just be able to do like a presenter mode. That's awesome. So can you tell us anything about what's coming next? Any stuff that you're working on that uh, isn't going to be held back for a release week that uh, you can let us know? Yeah, so as I mentioned previously, we have more ideas on how we can expand apps. So the very next thing I'm, I'm working on is exactly like uh, expanding apps such that they can support this runbook-like uh, workflow. Yeah, that's that's the main main focus right now. I'll just put in a plug that the the code base for Livebook is all open source. It's a it's a pretty enjoyable. I, I guess if you like reading and learning from other people's code, it's an enjoyable place to go you know, see what these guys are working on and like, what are the latest patterns for laying out live view pages? You know, there's like a whole slew of components that they've built for building form helpers. There's a cool emoji modal that uses a thin Phoenix hook. There's all sorts of like really cool things that you're surely going to walk away having learned a handful of tricks to bring into your own live view apps. I'll just say it one more time though, but I, I love seeing other people showing how to do something by putting it into a live book. And they're doing like the mix install, but here I'm using this library and here's how I do this thing and how easy and portable that is as an example. I think it's been a huge benefit to the whole community. So I really appreciate all the work you've done on live book to make it what it is today. Thank you. Well, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you or follow you online or see what you're up to, where should they go to do that? Yeah, so I mostly hang around on GitHub. Uh, I'm also on the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation Slack. And also we have a machine learning channel with all of the uh, latest machine learning stuff going on. So if you're interested, feel free to join there. And I recently also joined Elixir Forum. So if you message me there, probably going to see that as well. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.